remember in the 90s when they encouraged you to be weird? It was just an amazing time where people would go to see something like the Jim Rose Sideshow Circus and watch someone hang something from their penis. You could grow up to want to be a, a clown. Like people went to clown school. I gave up clowning years ago. Well, in Portland, you don't have to. Dream of the Welcome to the film show on KBOO. I'm SW Concert, and today I'm joined live in the studio by three of the guiding talents behind the hit TV show Portlandia. Uh, David Cress and Kevin Sullivan are the co-producers, and Janet Weiss is the permit manager. Uh, David, Kevin, Janet, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having us on. We will be asking you all about the eighth and final season of Portlandia in just a few minutes. But first, I'm hoping to be joined on the line from New York by Mahalia Cohen. Mahalia is the director of the new indie film, The Last Hot Lick. Uh, Mahalia, are, are we uh, with you on the phone here, I hope? And let's see, we're looking and we're going to find out. People who are familiar with the Pacific Northwest music scene will see a lot of familiar faces in this film. And I think we have Mahalia on the line now. Hi. Hi, Mahalia. Welcome to the film show. I want to talk about your film, The Last Hot Lick. The star is the late Jamie Leopold, who may be best known as the bass player for Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. Yeah, Jamie um, was the original bass player for Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks in the 70s and then had a long um, career in advertising in Portland with um, Leopold Cattell and later in life, started his own career as a singer-songwriter and got back into music and played around town in Portland a lot and was the inspiration for the film, um, both his life's journey and his music. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Jamie plays a fictional character named Jack Willits, who also has a past as a bass player for the Hot Licks, and you use real archival photographs and everything. How, how much was fact and how much did you take, uh, how much did you make up? Yeah, so... Um, the story of the film, everything that happens in the film, which, um, you know, in the film, Jamie plays a character named Jack Willits, who is on the road and living out of a van and touring in small bars and towns and meets a woman um, played by Jennifer Smia, which is actually his singer in his band. Um, all of that part, all of the, the, actually, the things that happen in the film are all fictional. And we just used Jamie's past as inspiration and kind of created the character of Jack Willits based on all of his past, but all of the elements in the film are fictional, everything that happens. So he was a great inspiration for it, but not actually playing himself in the film. Well, your mother, Deborah, who's the producer of the film, she was friends with Jamie since you were a wee sprog, I guess. Yeah, they met actually before I was born, and Jamie was in my life since the day I was born. Um, they worked at a club on Hawthorne together where Jamie was in the house band and that's how they met. And Jamie has two daughters um, who are around my age and we grew up together all as a family. And one of his daughters is in the film and his granddaughter is in the film playing his daughter and his granddaughter. So it really was a family affair. I mean, everyone who worked on the film were all friends and family. And my uncle was another crew member and all of my family was involved, um, cousins and aunts and uncles and, you know, longtime friends. And <clears throat> a lot of the characters in the film are played by other musicians who Jamie actually has known for, had known for years and who have been a part of my life. So it was, it was really great coming home and making this film in Oregon and 
We got I, to show I, it at the I, art museum. I recognized yeah. uh, I recognized several of the musicians, and uh, yeah, there was really kind of an improv feel to the whole thing. As the film progresses, you can really see the actors and the crew getting more confident. The 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 narrative just really seems to coalesce. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, we actually did shoot it all out of order, so it's really yeah. nice that it it has that feeling. Um, I think that. Definitely, you know, as the film progresses, as we, the film shoot progressed, everyone got more comfortable in their role, and it really helped. Um, everyone was, everyone in the film is a non-actor, but it helped that they all knew each other and felt comfortable with each other. Um, that was a really great experience for everyone. And I would say one standout is the uh, cinematography. Your DP, uh, Maria Colasso, captured some incredible scenery around the Columbia Gorge and Eastern Oregon. Yeah, we, we had an amazing time. She's actually a filmmaker, a cinematographer from Argentina. A lot of my crew came up from Argentina, a lot meaning there's three of them, and um, she did a beautiful job, and also just the Oregon landscape was a huge inspiration for this film. So I was really lucky to, to have her shoot the film, and lucky to have the helicopter um, that, was, that we were able to shoot out of, because my mom and her partner are helicopter pilots, so we got to fly around for free. Wow. <laughs> it was a very low-budget film, but we had a helicopter at our disposal. Well, you had a full house so. at Cinema 21, and what's next? I guess you're going to Pendleton, you're going to the Ashland International Film Festival uh, in April? Yeah, so we'll be at Ashland in April, and we're, we're really excited about that. And there's multiple screenings throughout the film festival, so anybody in the area should come on down the the first one is on the, the opening night. It's a Thursday night, um, Thursday, April 12th. And then every day after that, there's a screening during the day. So we'd love to have everyone come. And um, in Pendleton, they're doing a small screening because we got to shoot at the Pendleton Roundup. So they're having a little bit of a get-together there for that. And um, we also have a screening coming up in South America, in Montevideo, in Uruguay. So wow. if anyone's in South America, they can head on down to that. Well, I'm tempted. <laughs> that, that's at the end of March. All right. Well, uh, Mahalia Cohen, thanks for joining us today from New York. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah. Have a great day. Yeah, good luck. And Jamie loves Kebu, so Yay. love this. <laughs> well, I'm SW Concert. You're listening to The Film Show. And now we are joined in the studio once again by David Kress and Kevin Sullivan and Janet Weiss. David, Kevin, Janet, great to have you here. Hi. Well, let's talk about Portlandia. Filming on the eighth and final season has wrapped up. Uh, all the episodes are in the can. Uh, so what kind of beating is our first city coming in for this year? <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say just the usual beating. Okay. <laughs> well, Fred Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein, they are the uh the stars and the uh creative force behind it, I I understand. Um and we heard the Dream of the 90s, the famous Dream of the 90s that kicked off the very first episode of Portlandia. Uh had great folks like Noah Mickens uh was was part of that. Let's see was was uh the March 4th marching band in there? I uh... No, it was the um oh my gosh, what what's the name of the We have this super great marching band that's um Oh, now I'm so embarrassed I'm forgetting their name, but but they make multiple appearance. They're like they they play up their age uh, in the I think in the title of the marching band, but we also had the Portland Gay Men's Chorus. Um, we had a lot of uh, Portland's uh, bike clubs and and uh, tall bike enthusiasts that kind of thing, and um, and of course Noah and uh, and his circus crew helped out too. 
Well, uh, for anybody who hasn't ever seen Dream of the 90s, it's easily available on YouTube. And this was, I mean, right off the bat, this was a hugely reposted video. And uh, did you ever expect the show to become a phenomenon? Oh, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but that may be uh, reflective of my age, I'm not really the target demographic for anything that's uh, hip or new. But um, I do think that there was, that they did sort of plan uh, uh, Carrie uh, and Fred and John Krizel, who was uh, the director, uh, they did sort of plan to sort of try to make something that was musical and spreadable. And I think, so I, I they never set it out right, but I f sort of feel like the dream of the 90s was was sort of their their thesis statement and they wanted to get it out to make people aware of the show. Well, of course, Carrie being one of the legendary musicians of the Pacific Northwest, along with Janet, you were uh, in Slater Kinney with uh, still Carrie is. and still, still is. And well, I, I was going to say you were, but you were named. Until I died. You, you, you were named one of the greatest drummers of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, you told them there's a physicality to our music. Women aren't often allowed to be animals. And we are. And uh, it seems like you, you, the three of you really just paved the way for a lot of uh, bands that came afterwards. Well, there were a lot of people paving the way for us as well. I think it's just a continuum when, that we're a part of. Um, you know, we took our cues from people like Patti Smith and Kim Gordon and Kim Deal. and um, Kim Deal reforming the breeders, huh? Yeah, and nice. sounding amazing. Um, and I think that, you know, people, if we could give people after us some sort of uh, leg up or give them the feeling that they could do it as well or speak out or express themselves, it feels good to be able to do that. So that was you and Corinne Tucker and, uh, and Carrie Brownstein. Now, uh, how did, did, did Carrie just come up to you one day and say, um, let's do a show? Well, Carrie had started the show uh, with Fred. They made like a a little web series on their own just because they wanted to work together uh, called Thunder Ant. So that was like they're carrying Fred and their, our friend Patrick do, running the camera and they just had these funny ideas for skits and started doing it on their own. Um, so that's kind of how it started. I mean, you ask, like, did you know that it was going to be, you know, a phenomenon? And I will say as someone who's known Carrie for decades, she's really good and successful at everything she does. She's very tenacious and hardworking and smart. And I think she just kind of has her finger on um, ideas that are controversial or um, sort of the like the pulse of things. And I noticed that in her writing. Yeah, don't and, underestimate or, Carrie Brown. <laughs> well, ever. just in the band, like her, you know, the topics she would discuss or things she would um, breach in songs were just sort of lots of people were interested in those. And so I think it just kind of carried over whether it's, you know, it's not always like it's not always a commentary, but her ideas, I think, are are very uh, sharp. Well, uh, when, as permits manager, you've been called upon to get access to all kinds of places, some That's crazy true. spaces. Yes. And um, uh, well, did that? You're obviously you're an old Portlander. Uh, you've known a lot of venues. Did that help? Or, and also, did access get easier as the show got more visible? 
Uh, well, I didn't work on the first two seasons, so I would imagine there was a certain amount of explaining, like what it is and who they are. And, um, uh, I think the, the fact that the show is like the whole crew is from Portland and it's very, it's like a family. Um, and I think that sort of helps when we go into places, um, that we are, you know, we try to be really respectful of people's spaces and, and, you know, being in their world and not having a lot of money to pay. Um, you know, we do our best to kind of make it a fun experience for people. There are those people that just are not open to filming, you know, or they have, they just aren't into the show. They're not into, you know, they're not into Portland being a hub for filming you know, they don't like people from out of state coming in and working here. And I or, think, or maybe they've had a bad experience. Yeah, they had a bad experience. A film in the past. What, to, I, to provide a little context to this, though, the question about Janet's help is, I, I think that uh, a, a, a part of the economics of making a low-budget TV show is that you're you're very stressed for production values. So one thing about our show and locations is, it's very key. Um, if you don't find the right place, uh, we don't have the money to create, to have an art department or the time to have an art department come in and make it and make it work for the scene. So it's a very, it's it's a, on a par. The locations are on a par, in my view, with the production designer or the costume designer um, uh, on an in a normal set because basically Janet needs to find the right thing and to make her job even more difficult because we're a low budget show and because we're a variety show and we can do what we call crossboarding, meaning we can shoot part of a scene one day and then come back to another part of that scene or skit two or four days later or six days later that, and then marry those two pieces together. <clears throat> She's got, she has that burden as well to be able to find us places that are not only perfect and sell the idea of the skit in seconds, but the, there might need to, she might need to find a place right next door that does it for another skit. So it, it's very key to the show's success. And um, I do think that her old Portland connections were uh, a big part of, of what she did. And, uh, but I think, uh, her embracing the idea that she was part of that creative team and enthusiastically looking for the right places. That was, that's what made the difference. Well, Janet was mentioning that uh, all kinds of Portlanders made an appearance on the show over the years, and uh, uh, he tried to keep the place welcoming. Full disclosure, I showed up in an episode a few years ago <laughs> uh, playing a steampunk. Uh, and one thing I have to say is I've, I've worked on some toxic film sets, <laughs> and this was not one of them. The whole crew seemed very friendly and chill. Uh, who's responsible for that atmosphere? I, I think not only you know Fred Carey and our directors, mostly John Grisell, but then later we've had multiple directors, but the whole entire crew, um, because we all knew that we're working at home, we like working at home, and we like working with each other, and so everybody that came in was embraced, whether you were a guest star coming from out of town or you're local. And it's really like being in the trenches. It's not, it's very difficult. The workload is, is heavy. And so we all like bond over 
right, getting or, it getting it done. You know, like just to to finish the amount of stuff we're trying to do in the time we have to do it. Um, we really had to rely on each other. We just could not. You know, you can't ignore the other departments. You have to get in the trenches with everyone. Yeah, it wasn't a one for all. Yeah, and we so definitely. It's everybody together. Yeah, we watch out for each other. And if that on a small set, if that chemistry doesn't happen. Then you have the other kind of film set that you talked about, the toxic one. But I really do, I feel like it really comes, that culture comes from the top, like, um, and it came from Fred and Carrie. And, and, and to even maybe draw back on what we were talking about earlier about Carrie Brownstein, this season and last season, she directed episodes as, as if all the other things she's done well in life weren't enough, um, producing, acting, um, her ability to learn the craft by, you know, being a participant and then stepping in and directing and being open, uh, as Fred has always been to, you can be the, the most junior member of our crew. And if you have an idea, you can walk right up to Fred and suggest it and Fred will, will consider it. And that creates a, you know, where you're lucky in some ways when you're small and you don't have a lot of resources you don't have to manage the key people's time. It doesn't become a big hierarchical thing. And those guys were always great about, you know, being open to the crew and joking with the crew and 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 bringing them in and to follow their vision. Uh, it's hard when you really care about people to not find what they're looking for, not create the scene they want to do. Well, uh, David and Kevin, you're both. It looks like we we're going to have you share a mic. Uh, That's all right. <laughs> it's, it's like a it's, comedy routine. Here. Yeah, it's, it's just moving slowly. It's, over here. it's live radio. Let's yeah. have fun with it. Um, uh, David and Kevin, so you are also old Portland characters. You have been doing uh, commercials and short films and um, uh, 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 let's see, uh, uh, TV, music TV videos, series, TV music series, videos, movies um, for you know ever since the '90s. Uh, food chain films. I've uh, full disclosure. I did some work for the folks there too. Um, so you, how did you get hooked up with uh, with IFC with the uh, Independent Film Channel and with Fred and Carrie? What was what was your uh, uh, what was your role of jumping in at the beginning there? I actually the first season was off doing other things like commercials and things like that. And David brought me on for a couple of days to find locations because like we said, the yeah. show is a hard show. We were in trouble. And then this massive And everybody in the community helps out, you know, and so you want to, you want to make something that's coming up, you know, go longer. And then the second season, um, David turned to me and was like, Hey, do you want to, you know, basically helped me line produce the show. And um, so, and then here we are eight years later. You know, so. Well, yeah, I, I, how I came to be on the show was a, a weird path. Uh, I did commercials and music videos. And then uh, I happened to do some music videos for Gus Van Zandt. And then Gus Van Zandt had a small project and his regular producer wasn't around. So Neil Kappa, a fabulous uh, Oregon-based producer, and I produced Paranoid Park for Gus, and then a few, and then uh, that started a streak of working for Gus for uh, uh, about eight or nine years. And then we did an independent film called Some Days Are Better Than Others with a with a really great Portland director named Matt McCormick. And Matt cast as his leads Carrie and um, James Mercer. And um, that experience doing that film with Carrie, where again. Carrie was fabulous in that movie uh, for her first time role. 
And um, so when she and Fred were kicking around this idea and it was getting a little bigger and more serious when it was going to a network, they said, Carrie said, you know, if we're going to do this in Portland, we should probably do this with some of our local Portland friends. And so that's how I got tied into the, uh, plus I've done produce Slater Kinney music videos. Ah, yes. Well, we're talking with Janet Weiss. uh, Janet Weiss of Slater Kinney and also permit manager for Portlandia and also David Kress and Kevin Sullivan, producers for Portlandia. You, too, have won just about every award there is for the Cleos and um, uh, I believe a Peabody and uh, and you've been nominated for Emmys over and over again. What are some, okay, seven years of this show. Tell us some crazy stories. Tell us us some stuff that almost went off the rails or just like really came in with some fun... uh, just a, a, a fun ending and everything turned out all right. Day one, day, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Day one of every season. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's like, you know, we don't ever had, nothing was like ever on fire. <laughs> you know, yeah, so that was good. We're real geeky, geeky film people. Yeah. Like our pro- part of it is the logistics and management. Right. So um, I don't know if we have that many funny stories about the talent, but I do remember one time, just to emphasize the size of the show, uh, we had a, 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 a an executive at the network IFC come out, and we were shooting. One of my favorite scenes was the what was the proud the parade we did with the um, allergy pride. The, no, all- the other what was the other mm. parade with the um, that had the. The neo Nazis. <laughs> oh, that was the other. That was like the anti parade. Yeah, yeah, we had a. We had a. There's a scene in the setup was that the the mayor was at a town hall meeting and he was like, "What? Well, you know, we're gonna do the gay pride parade this year. Are we gonna have the? Are we gonna have the dykes on bikes?" And the and the the committee people were there saying, "Well, we've decided that that might be a little dangerous with the crowds and so forth." And they said, "Oh, we're gonna do the foam thing, right, where everyone gets covered in foam." And they're like. Well, the insurance and the permit, we decided that was probably safer not to do that. And he's like, we're not the city uh, that's that's uh, keeps it weird anymore. Who We need to have a parade no longer. You know, LGBT is too mainstream in Portland now. We need to have a who Who needs their own parade? And then you cut to a parade for these, like, fairly reprehensible people. So there were a lot of people who looked kind of scary as part of that parade, and it happened to be a day when an IFC executive was was visiting. And she walks up, sees this vast array of, of questionable-looking humans who were cast, you know. Um, and I, I feel like she should have known that, but um, we, she said, uh, and then Fred and Carrie come walking up, just like round a corner and come walking up, which is sort of the way it was with us. And she said, David, where's your set security? And, you know, I said, you're kind of looking at him. Like, that's what we have. So it was always, the 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 show was always a little bit contained chaos because we were trying to do so much. Well, you, you rely on improv, improvisation a lot too, yeah. heavily for, yeah. uh, for, for your skits and for the writing. The improv and, you know, doing three to four locations in a day, it was, you know, it's any other TV show is really not going to try to do that. It was surprising, too, who, like, what actors took to that. Like, you know, basically an actor would, you know, we, we'd cast an actor. Um, if they were available, they'd come up and do the show. Most of them had a passing knowledge of the show. That's why they were willing to do it. They certainly weren't doing it to enrich themselves. And so... They would come up, and the day before, if we didn't shoot until 11 o'clock at night, 
Fred or Carrie or the, the director of that particular episode would go meet them for dinner or, or get a drink with them and talk them through the next day. It was that informal, right? And basically, that was when they were told, oh, we're going to throw the script out the window and you're going to come and you know just use it as an outline. And some people were really great about that. And they were always, you know, it was often someone you wouldn't expect, like Kyle McLaughlin, who'd done so much narrative work, right? The fact that he embraced that notion of improv really as much as anybody, um, uh, you know, was kind of funny. And then some people who we all expected to be great improvers were not as comfortable doing it. Kyle McLaughlin is still playing the mayor. Is a former mayor... Uh, Sam Adams from Portland, is he still playing the mayor's assistant? He was, <laughs> couldn't be anyone else, really. Okay. Um, he, he grew as, a, as an actor, <laughs> I think. He has been on the show before when he became mayor man for uh, Pear's uh, superhero brigade. So, uh, so he, we, we, we taped him in his office when he was still mayor, putting on a superhero outfit. So um, I want to I ask you, um, so... New York Magazine has done, 60 Minutes did a recent piece. Uh, one of the things that they mentioned, uh, uh, you know, one incident that got, that's gotten a lot of press involves the independent bookstore, in other words, here in town. For a long time, it was a setting for the women and women first bookstore in the show. And then things changed rather radically. Actually, it was a, a very Portland story. There were accusations of insensitivity. Yeah, you know, um, I, you know, that part was always sort of a fun part for us. Uh, we did, a, and it's still, a, you th I think you can do a little searching, but the comedian uh, Kamal Najil, uh, who was on the show and recently made that this super movie, The, the, the Big Sick, he, um, uh, we had him do a, a kind of an, uh, an extra micro web piece called Kamal Visits Portlandia. And we just went out on the weekend with a, a a small crew, and we, you know, Kamal visited, you know, tiny houses and <laughs> the um, and, and a few other uh, sort of quirky Portland places, and um, and he and, and we ended up at the feminist bookstore. And I remember that day, that that as we're riding there, I was thinking, I didn't really anticipate that we would be there doing a completely 100% improv thing. And I didn't really think about the sensitivity because um, the the folks at the bookstore had a very good sense of humor yeah. and were very open. And uh, and I felt like we had a, a good relationship with them. And, um, and But there in that moment of this new comedian who'd never been there having to, to riff, it did strike me that this may not be a good combination. And there were several of the board members were there. And you can still find that piece. And the second set, the first setup we do, you might notice that Camille's, that Camille's not giving his full gusto. He's sort of whispering some of the lines into the camera. And then he, then we set up an interview for him and he interviews some of the, the board members and the employees, uh, or the, at the time the volunteer employee shifts. And they were really funny and embraced it, and they weren't they didn't uh, uh, and they weren't shy about their their feelings and beliefs and and Kamal had a lot of fun with that, and we had a lot of fun with that and that I think embodies the relationship that we had for a really long time. Now, I know that I'm like a lot of other people in the world, and I'm not crazy about um, a lot of political developments and and there are a, a lot of past there's a lot of our past that we need to confront and 
Uh, so I completely understand really what what the objection was, um, and and in any any case, I think it it, it provided us the. Uh, uh, a, a way to get uh, creative, like I do. My, some of my favorite new skits are the, the um, what about men skits. Uh huh. You know, oh yeah. So, allowed the it allowed the characters to grow. Yeah. Even, yeah. even with. Well, one of the one, one of the accusations uh, there was transphobia. They said that there was a few people at the bookstore, but also they they complained about gentrification. And another article that appeared in Willamette Week a couple of years ago was written by Carrie By. She's an independent artist known as the Museum Lady. And one of Carrie's complaints was that a lot of newcomers to to Portland are spectators, not participants. They want to be entertained by the creative types. And Carrie said, today Portland feels like a theme park version of itself. So, I mean, you've, you've heard the accusations. People say, well, Portlandia is all, all responsible for, for that, the, incomer, the, yeah, the newcomers I, coming I, in. You know, like, these changes are going on all over the country. And I was in San Antonio a year ago, and the, they had three headlines in their paper the three days I was there. Homeless crisis, um, gentrification crisis or affordable housing mm -hmm. crisis and traffic crisis and and um, uh, I, I, I don't know I don't know where we are in creating that or not creating that but I'd say every city that had a net growth in the last decade is has some of those similar complaints and I'm not sure we're that much different than any other city well, one thing that keeps Portland weird a small press store uh, reading frenzy did close down but it's proprietor's Chloe Udaley moved into City Hall, so we still have that groove going on. Um, so uh, the new season, tell us about the new season. Opens uh, to, it, tonight. It closes tonight. Closes, closes tonight. tonight. Last night. So, but you'll be able to catch the show in reruns yes. and then uh, eventually at Netflix. All right. And Slater Kinney is back together. That's a continuing thing, Janet uh, Weiss. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you've got a new series coming up, you two, right? Uh, we're we're hoping to. It's a little premature to announce yet yet, but we're uh, very close, and we'll let you know when. All we're, right. When well, thank you very much, Janet Weiss, David Cress, um, Kevin uh, Sullivan, uh, for joining us today to talk about the final season of Portlandia. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the film show on KBU. I'm SW Concert. Thanks also to the Oregon Media Production Association for their support and collaboration, and thanks to all our listeners on the radio dial and on the web. Remember when people were content to be unambitious, they'd sleep till 11, just hang out with their friends? I mean, they had no occupations whatsoever, maybe working a couple hours a week at a coffee shop.